0: Hey, welcome to the Jungle Brothers podcast. It's Joey here, and today I'm chatting with Logan Gelbrick. Logan is the founder of Deuce Gym in Los Angeles, California. It's a standout space doing everything from helping regular, everyday humans through to building world-class coaches and even leaders in other industries. Logan has recently started a non-for-profit within the gym which helps people who are in incarceration find purpose through contribution in the Deuce community. He has authored his own book on philosophy called Going Right, And he is what i would consider to be a fantastic thought leader in the gym space as always if you are looking for help in your coaching or fitness business you can reach out to us at junglealliance.com we would love to hear from you please enjoy my chat with logan gelbrick good afternoon my brother what's up how are you mate i'm excellent how are you
1: great we, uh, we're getting that weather that we pay for out here. It's one of those beautiful ones, you know,
0: does California ever not get the weather?
1: You know, uh, very, very often we do, and it makes us all soft. And so when, when it isn't right on the money, it's like our favorite thing to complain about, so <laughs> it's pretty good, but
0: you know, we'll, we'll have our days. When were you in australia do you remember what time of the year it was you know what i don't I, if i took a second
1: i'm sure i could figure this out because um, i know i was there consecutive years at like the exact same time i want to say it was like november october november
0: yeah okay i remember i think the weather was pretty nice around the time you were here. So that would make sense. But yeah, you, you probably didn't get a chance to experience the winter denial that we have here, at least on this, on, like in Sydney, uh, every, it's kind of like California. Cause I, you know, I spent a few months over there and I, and it's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. And we have all of these cafes and all of these shops and everything that are built like it's summer all year round, they got big open yeah. windows and open doors and you go in, you know, yeah. and in winter time, it actually gets really cold here. So then we have to put heaters and shit everywhere. Cause we don't, none of our buildings are like built to, to handle it. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, so I feel like we kind of, we, 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 we think that it's like California actually is over here. Yeah.
1: We, we do some of that too, where, you know, it doesn't get terribly cold here, but we like our bodies get cold because we don't know how to dress right so so in our winter you know you'll see like it's a very uh california phenomenon to to see a guy wearing like shorts or maybe even shorts and sandals but having a hoodie on and then the the beanie you know so we don't know how to we don't know how to dress
0: there's a there's a resonance there i think uh i think that's why we probably feel quite comfortable in each other's hometowns. Yeah, yeah. Fair point, mate. Fair um, point. tell me, tell me what's going on with you. You know, for for folks listening, I first mm-hmm. met you at the work, your workshop, your seminar, the Hold the Standard seminar, which was a two day course here in Sydney. Uh, I was trying to think earlier. I didn't think too hard about it, but it was probably about three years ago, give or take. No, yeah, more.
1: three, three or four, three. Or uh, four. Yeah, yeah, it must
0: have been. 2017 or 18. yeah you're right it was a good couple years before the whole COVID thing kicked off
1: yeah yeah it feels like we just lost a couple we deleted two years of our lives almost but um yeah it had to be 17 or 18.
0: so that was the first time i met you and that was really a, a an event for gym owners and people who wanted to operate at a a higher level. And, uh, you know, we can go into that a bit, a bit down the track, but you own a gym, you own Deuce Gym. It's a bit of a cultural phenomenon as far as I can tell. Um, Tell me what your, what your day-to-day looks like. Are you, are you running the gym or have you now stepped into a different role with, with, you know, your business?
1: Yeah. Oh man. My day-to-day is, I don't know if it's something to aspire to that's for sure um, i'm pretty i'm pretty. Uh, full on with a bunch of different things, so I do still have a role at the gym. Um, we have a couple locations. Um, I do some coaching So I coach about three three classes a week. Um, and just about. Delegated everything uh, except for um, coaches development is a very thorough part of what we do culturally and I'm sure we'll get into that, but um, I'm about to hand that off to one of our uh, staff members, but I'm still involved in that. I'm still involved in the marketing, heavily, um but in terms of like what I do for work, it's pretty diversified I do. Uh, some active consulting uh, both in and outside of the fitness space i started a new company uh, last year uh, it's a creative agency we do digital brand and creative work um, and you know that takes my time when it when it does uh, and i have i'm a part of several other companies that you know do and don't necessarily involve with the creative agency but Um, everything from apps to restaurants to brands it's kind of all over the map but the thing that ties all that together is uh, just my obsession with development and using business as an incredible vehicle for development and uh, how I I generally contribute to all those projects is around this idea that you learned about uh, adaptive leadership and sort of the, the design of organizations that are developmental by nature meaning how they exist and how they are designed means that they will improve over time. And so that's it's where I spend my time. I'm sure I'm missing something. Oh we started a nonprofit so the, the gym here has a nonprofit arm that's taken a lot of time in a good way. Uh, we can get into that too but yeah i'm kind of all over the map man i work too much that's the short story
0: <laughs> for people looking from the outside the the gym owner is quite a i don't know fitness centric role you for anyone who owns a gym gen, generally speaking you're into your training so you're doing stuff you're lifting you're getting strong that is a big part of your life and, um, I'm finding myself more in a, in a, in a similar, in a situation close to yours these days where I don't coach as much, but I can explore other aspects of the business and, and other businesses. Um, but training's still a huge thing. And I think that for people looking from the outside, it, it seems like a, like a bit of a jock kind of correlation. Like, oh yeah, you got a gym, you like training, you're a bit of a jock, like whatever, like, you know, not necessarily being critical, but it's kind of a simplified view of, of the individual. However, what you just mentioned is this great diversity to what you do and what you're interested in. And, you know, some of those words, organization, leadership, these are things that are typically not spoken of in the jock space. Yeah. Can you talk to me about how it it came to be that that's where your interest lies, Um, but the the gym life and the training piece – has also been a huge part of what you do.
1: Yeah, a hundred percent. I can acknowledge that I, in many ways, represent maybe a confusing uh, person. I'm not the stereotypical fitness professional or gym owner. Uh, and to answer your question, I think how I arrived there is uh, is important because. You know, when you know that, it seems more obvious. So I got introduced to strength and conditioning um, by proxy because I wanted to be a professional baseball player. So the training was assumed in a goal that had nothing really directly to do with training. And I think a lot of the stereotypes around strength and conditioning and fitness and life in the gym sets us up for a sort of archetype individual right because the person who would have the most passion and knowledge and probably results inside of fitness would meet some sort of criteria that looks like they're obsessed with that thing of course right but of course and it's rarer than that that person would also have uh an interest of any level especially an extreme level in the other parts of the job, business, leadership, marketing, et cetera. And so if you just look at how the, the, the hand is usually dealt, so to speak, generally speaking, your fitness professional, uh, your gym owner, your athlete turned coach turned gym owner is probably going to be biased towards the technical elements of training. And like we talked about in the Hold the Standards Summit, it's not to – be one or the other but in true developmental fashion it is to transcend and include right because i could easily make this argument that like well you know the reason why i've had maybe a little bit of success or or you're having me on your podcast or whatever is because everyone should be obsessed with business rather than the reps and sets that's not what i'm saying Right. I think that the true uh, desired outcome and and sort of where I'm hoping that I'm headed is to really include quality training. Like I can I can do the thing, you know, and I can coach the thing at a I would say a pretty uh, substantial level, not the best in the world, but like it's not pretend like I'm not sneaking in the back door and being a business marketing guy who is tricking my audience, right, in a disingenuous way. <clears throat> but I really was a high-level athlete, and then I really did train and do things physically that, you know, someone who becomes a coach would do. But the problem is when we leave it there, right, we just leave it at that and and this is getting into this idea of, of skill transfer that i talk about in my book and that is probably the best way to answer your question which is you know i devoted like 20 years of my life uh just from like a little boy uh from little tee ball all the way up to professional baseball and then that part of my life was finished um but i really felt that All of these skills that seemingly only seem like baseball skills could really be applied somewhere else you see what i'm saying, and so. um, This idea of skill transfer really helped me sort of walk into fitness and look around and say like well what about that world can apply to this world, so on and so forth, so I think it has allowed me to do the training part but also not like succumb to my stereotype, you know, uh, a lot of us just say, Hey, like, what am I, what do I know? I'm just a coach. Right. And and they sort of like use this as license to be not just ignorant, but to underperform as a business. Right. It's like, um, we talked in in the summit a little bit about that, like prideful failure. You know, this is a passion project. What am I going to do? Like, do the books, right? You know, what am I going to do? Open an Excel doc, right? And and in a weird way, we undercut the value of, of what our passion is, you know? So the idea is to do both. So I guess, long-winded way of saying, think of one of those like rare cases of a, a coach who I just never, you know, I, I wasn't obsessed with Arnold Schwarzenegger. I never had the posters on the wall, you know, it was all for some other, uh, reason.
0: When you, when you're talking with say, a a young coach, that's coming through your gym, it's coming through Deuce and you know, you're, you're discussing this sort of timeline or or this pathway of their development and you know, maybe this is in reference to your coach's development course, someone that is going to work in one of your gyms. Do you, do you try to empower them to kind of view their potential in the same way or do you kind of see that for some folks it is better to find a thing that, that you know, that's your jam and stick with that and just really go deep on that and become the gym owner and, or, you know, become the key athlete or do you think that this sort of realization of potential is, I don't know, inherently important for everybody to, to go after?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I would hope as big of an advocate as anybody is for everyone to pursue their individual potential. I, I sort of try in my book to make a case for that being the meaning of life. Like the point is to find the environment that will develop you and introduce you to your more evolved self and exhaust all of your effort inside of that environment, you know, hundred um, percent to specifically answer your question around the gym. Um, it, it it's kind of a two sides to the same coin. You know, uh, if I'm being vulnerable with you, a mistake I make, almost like I lean too heavy on seeing potential. Uh, I see like greatness in many, many, many more people than display that greatness. Um, and so I have an oftentimes unrealistic optimistic view of the future of other people Uh, and so how that manifests is uh i sort of assume that everyone can do this and everyone cannot do this just straight up um now on the other side of that that same coin i do sit back a little bit and this is sort of because of how Deuce is designed, I do find a lot of solace and comfort in the design of like our coaches development program. We just don't hire people. I mean, like I respect the family of you. And if you said, hey, bro, like I just moved to Venice. In my mind, I know that you can contribute here. And also uh, you would have to go through the same kind of like shit journey that everybody else would have to go through just so on the other end, you and I have a certain level of increased trust and willingness to just be a better team together. You see what I'm saying? So all that to say is when people come to me sort of like really motivated and excited to do the thing, I do support them and give them the whole pep talk and tell them what could be true. But also we both have some comfort in realizing that uh, You're either going to capture the flag or you're not, you know, you're going to go through this process and I'll see you on the other side or not. It's not for me to figure out whether or not you'll make it through, you know, and so there's a lot of attrition in that process. And so I try not to get emotionally wrapped up in who does or doesn't make it or
0: all that. Tell me about this. Tell me about how the gym works, what you guys do. Um, like I said, it's a bit of a cultural phenomenon. Looking at it from the outside, it has a lot of similarities to, to you know, my gym, Jungle Brothers in Sydney, um, unique culture. I would say that it operates like a, at least to the, to the public view through its marketing and whatnot, it operates at a much higher level than your standard kind of warehouse gym does. There's more yeah. going on. Sometimes it's hard to put your finger on, but you're like something special is growing here. Talk to me about that place. Yeah.
1: Deuce as it exists in the, in the world as a, as a business uh, is a training facility. The value in coming to this training facility is to receive the greatest coaching experience available. Uh, and so when people come to the gym, they're coming to be coached most often in a small group uh, in one of our courses. And the main curriculum, the main offering there is a general physical preparedness program, basically a strength and conditioning training experience with the most broad general outcome um, possible as the goal. Okay, Um, And that is a sort of a catch-all because As a movement person I know that whoever walks through the door, whether you're like a world famous actor and you have a movie that you're getting ready for. Or you're an athlete or you have no real specific goals all three of those people are either going to benefit from or be held back by their level of gpp readiness. period right, and so that is the most sort of open ended uh, offering into the world. Uh, now, that being said, one of the things that makes Deuce unique, in, in my opinion, is, you know, we use a lot of uh, imagery and a lot of language, uh, akin to like education. So I would say it's kind of like a university for movement. Okay. So if our main uh, education is general physical preparedness, you know general people with general goals you know developing uh some fitness ability uh there are also many specialty courses there and so people can can take a course in powerlifting uh gymnastics strongman we have a and exposure course we have a speed development program for for athletes who are on the field and in court uh and so you can kind of go down the rabbit hole, whereas GPP is quite general, these are quite specific. And so the model student for us is the sort of ignorant person who can't figure it out, who comes into the gym, trains a couple days a week in in GPP, later upgrades to three or maybe four days a week, takes a time out and goes and addresses some weaknesses in the powerlifting program, comes back two years later, Runs out some weaknesses in gymnastic and comes back to GPP, and then maybe you know, finds some inspiration in strongman and comes back, and then ten or twelve years later, you're just you have your black belt in movement, you know, and it's a lifestyle that that's something that uh, no one can ever take from you, you know. So that's the short story. We're a place to come be coached, uh, and that's our reason for being. But you know, then there's all the uh, intangible things. That's all sort of on stage, uh, what's behind the curtain is that this is all up front. This is all a ruse for, um, the development of leadership and the context in which we develop leadership is a for-profit business that makes money slang and workouts, you know? And so everyone on our team is in an open conversation about their edges and where it is that we're going to grow and, um, and there's a whole bunch of implications about that. But um, yeah, I think some unique things, we create a lot of value in a little tiny space. You know, this is a, a million dollar operation in a dirty, old, grungy garage. That's like kind of a cool vibe. It's mostly outdoors and in the sunshine. And um, it's. I think it's intriguing to people. You know, I think what you're trying to describe in terms of how it, looks from the outside looking in it definitely uh hints at something very special happening there
0: yeah it very it really has a very stereotypical kind of um Southern California vibe as far as I see Mm. it you know the imagery and stuff and and being out in the sun like this idea of just you're training in the sun outdoors every day kind of thing that's I mean that's that seems very special to us I think for many years when we were talking about what our gym would be like, we kept coming back to that idea, like, man, outdoor, outdoor, you know, it's so cool, but it's only cool here for, you know, six months of the year and then it's (laughs) shit. (laughs) Yeah. Um, that's right. But yeah, it, it, it really does. Um, I, I like how you, I like how you frame that very openly where it's, this is what it is on the outside, but then this is what's actually happening and that is the leadership thing. Yeah did you build the gym with all of that in mind or did you start as let's slang workouts and then it evolved into this animal?
1: Yeah, that's a question I, I get a lot. And I think that, um, my answer, which is yes, we are executing a plan here is sort of like, people are like, Dang. <laughs> you know, <laughs> shit, shit. Uh, you know, I missed my shot. Um, that's right. Uh, but I want to put a caveat out there, right? Like, I think people, so we just had an intern um, who might've been in your course, actually. Uh, Jess, Jessica Ryan, she she was there from the Virtus
0: crew. Um, oh, I know the Virtus crew. No, she wouldn't. She didn't. Uh, we didn't have anyone from them with us.
1: Okay. Uh, anyway, um, she just made it back home but she interned with us for for a month um and uh, what what was your question i'm now i'm blanking
0: oh if it was intentional to to you know that's right to be this way from the start
1: that's right okay so one of the things she asked was like it's kind of overwhelming you look around at all of these programs that are up and running all of these projects you know there's like multiple podcasts like all this infrastructure built and and it's like you know, you could leave that experience being like, so I got to go home and like, how many websites do I need? How many is this crazy? It's like so much stuff. Right. And so I want to acknowledge that what's happening now is, of course, not how it started. You know, that said, though, in the beginning, this started in a, a park It was in a park program, uh, you know, had no address, no location, whatever. And we're sort of like incubating a community that we would eventually move into a quote-unquote real gym. And the reason why I bring this up is, even in the park program, uh, we had coaches prep. Meaning, the the mechanisms for developing coaching was started then right in the beginning, and that's sort of like the vision part that I'm that I'm talking about now. If I'm being trans fully transparent, didn't have a lot of the language or the like supplemental kind of integrated conversation that we would have at the Holden Standard Summit for a lot of the things that we were doing. That being said, I still did have the background that I had starting in the park, meaning I knew that when two or more people are together, it increases complexity. This is called a group or a team. Teams can accomplish incredible things, especially if they have, a strong purpose or like a reason for being, especially when that group is trying to do something difficult. So the, the sort of seeds of the infrastructure we have now were, were planted way back then. And we knew that in order to be the company that we wanted to be, uh, we had to place as many eggs in the basket of development as we were in terms of quote unquote slang and fitness, right? And so I would say there's awareness to it. But of course, this has evolved over time, of course, yeah.
0: Was that all you're doing, this having the coaches prep and that developmental piece in the business from day one? Yeah, I mean, the,
1: I would be remiss not to to mention all the important people that help make it happen, right? So I started the park program with a guy named Danny Leslie. Uh, we sort of were incredible yin and yang personality styles that were able to create an experiment or sorry an experience that really worked. Um, uh, my partner Lindsay was really critical to bring in like the sort of medical side, um, uh, the female sort of empowerment uh, that was so important early on. Coach uh, Emily Stanwick, joined her as well. And so, of course, team effort all the way. A lot of what was modeled to me, though, uh, comes from people even outside of the organization. So, you know, you have to early on, in my opinion, when you don't have a model of your own, you need to see behavior modeled to you that would sort of inspire design that works, right? And if not, you'll probably go through a series of trial and error that will either kill you put you out of business or um extend the runway to success you see what i'm saying a lot of gym owners by the time they meet me right they're like it's six years in i'm tired and poor like help me right but if you had some sort of vision or best practices or design earlier on you sort of shorten that runway and you can get to a path of profitability quicker so all that to say is um my strength coach in college who was an early CrossFit flow master a guy by the name of Stefan Rocher, was really influential uh when i got done playing baseball i told him i was going to move back to los angeles like who could i go learn from he introduced me to a guy called Andy Petronic who he had like the ninth crossfit affiliate ever um successful fitness business before that and then at the time one of the most sort of savvy kind of well-run, especially on the business side, CrossFit affiliates. And so that's where I really integrated, like what does it look like to have a coaches development program, like uh, with rules and documents and structure. Um, That's also where I am really learning the language around this bait and switch that ultimately happens, not in a, like sleazy car salesman kind of way but uh, anyone we enroll in the gym we feel a bit of responsibility to shift their mind as to what they're enrolling in and the shortest version of that story is fitness is free you're paying for coaching and so that is a really influential you know piece and watching jeremy teal uh, that's where i sort of saw inspiration on um Structured memberships. And then that was the birthplace of uh, our idea around specialty courses. He had a gym for a while that has since closed that was my ultimate inspiration called Red Black Gym, which had all these coaches sort of leading uh, specialty efforts inside of this kind of, you know, ecosystem of, of movement ideas, super sick. Uh, so long story short, no, like I didn't just have a long dream one day and all this came out. This is all influenced by people much smarter than me.
0: Yeah, it's important, I guess, to pick that apart a bit for me, because I know for a lot of coaches, well, for most gym owners, and you would, I'm sure you would agree, you start because you're into fitness, you start coaching fitness, and then it's only once you encounter these roadblocks, you know, like I need someone to cover classes and the coaches that I know aren't any good. Oh, I better start some kind of coaching program. But from the point that you realize that to the point that you have whatever, a fully fledged coaches development program, which most gyms still don't, can take a huge amount of time. And I think there's, the way you speak about it, there's a great deal of empowerment that needs to occur for a gym owner in order to be able to think on that level. Because going back to your sort of earlier point we tend to have self-limiting beliefs about what's available to us in the role that we're in or the archetype that we're, that we're, you know, assigning ourselves to. So it's like, oh man, I'm, I'm, I'm good at squatting and teaching people how to get strong. I don't know shit about putting a course together.
1: Yeah. I think there's lots of, there's lots of things that get in the way that might be part of it. Like a self-limiting belief thing. I mean, I think, it would be disingenuous to not acknowledge the fact that our industry is sort of like riddled with narcissism, right? Like, I like I think that in a weird way, a much bigger piece of the pie of fitness professionals is filled with people who either consciously or subconsciously realize that it's the easiest way to be in charge of other people. It's the easiest way to assume authority over people, and so a lot of gyms get built with it's actually impossible to envision the gym being bigger than any one person because the person that built it is a self-obsessed narcissist right so it's like if you start with that perspective that's fine you just also would need to resign yourself to know exactly how big your business could be and it's not that big right and 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 i think sometimes that logic misses people you know putting the narcissism aside, like the example that you were talking about where it's like, well, if you only make adaptations because of pain, there's no like foresight, meaning like it's when you're burnt out and need to go on vacation that you begin thinking about, well, who else could coach here? It's sort of like a reactionary uh, strategy around this, right? And sometimes it takes reverse engineering your reality. You know, there's a lot of people that work You know, in America, we call it like nine to fives. I don't know if y'all resonate with that, but like we're kind of more corporate nine to five jobs begrudgingly and are sort of scratching their head frustrated as to why they don't have like financial freedom, for example. And, And stay with me on this example for a second, because, well, how did they get 10 or 20 years into the job? It's like, well, they never really thought about it they sort of just kept showing up another day. But if you go back to the first day of work and one of your goals was financial freedom, you would have to realize that working for someone else in a sort of nine to five job will never yield that, right? And so that would sort of beg the question, well, then what does? And then it's like, oh, I would have to to own something or I would have to build something that is bigger than myself or whatever, right? And then if you just reverse engineer the math, it's like, well, whether it's good news or bad news, I would have to do something that looks like X, Y, and Z, right? And so, so we go X, Y, and Z, and we start down that road. And then 10 or 20 years later, maybe you have the outcome rather than like waiting to be in enough pain to realize that you've quote unquote fucked it up, you know? Um, And, and, and so many people in fitness specifically, like you said, go down that sort of this is the obvious next step. I'm the fittest person I know. Obviously, obviously, I should be a coach. It's like that's not obvious at all. You know, oh, I'm the best coach I know. I should obviously own a gym. That's not an obvious leap at all, if you really think about it, you know. Um and and I just this I know this is like a diatribe here at this point, but the I think the the takeaway here is we got to have a great model of what it is you're trying to attempt. See what I'm saying? Like if you never knew what a great back squat looked like, it's really hard to mimic that thing, right? You would need great information in order to, to get close to replicating it. Now, when it comes to the job of coach or the role of gym owner, most people that get into this job or role are attempting this with a really bad model because what they see, what has informed their model is like what they see on Instagram or what they see of their, their coach's life. And what you see of your coach's life is the person standing in front of you with a sick playlist telling you cool shit. And it looks rad, but like you gotta dig in these roles and understand that being a gym owner is almost has almost nothing to do with working out. And almost has it almost has nothing to do with coaching, which is depending on the size of your business. And so if that's true, then what is it? And then that is where you start to have a better model. And so if you want to be a good one, you'd have to know well, what do I need to be good at? What does that include? And it's fucking not Instagram
0: please continue what would it be
1: well i think there are technical things meaning like you should almost no one expects how you will spend your time right which is um to say that you're going to be a coach is sort of saying that you will hold space for everything that needs to happen to present this training experience. It means that you're a full-time customer service representative. It means that you get emails and texts and people tapping you on the shoulder, people waiting in line after you coach a group of them to divulge what's on their mind, right? And if you don't think that that's part of your job, you, you're not doing the job, you know? It includes, you uh, a really savvy understanding of Google Docs and computers. And I used to piss off coaches on my staff all the time that really wanted to reduce this job into their workouts. Uh, And I'll just say, I wish more coaches spent more time on their computer. And and I said it mostly just to be a dick, but it's true in so many ways. No matter how much you wanna make this job into sweat and drilling and technique it includes that but it transcends that you know and so these are the kinds of ways that you'll be spending your your time and i think that that really sets an expectation now in terms of the adaptive side you will need to think about people other than yourself 95 percent of the time right it is a game of empathy No matter what's inside of your head, no matter how smart you think you are, no matter matter how many techniques that you have, no matter how good your progressions are, no matter how good your movement is, no matter how many CrossFit things you qualify for that no one cares about, you're only as good as your ability to effectively translate and communicate what's in your head to the person who's standing in front of you. And that is a is almost like an unofficial PhD in communication and human relations, you know. Um, we, and now we're getting into like hold the standard summit territory, but you know they call this the information age for a reason. Every technique, every method, every rapid set, every muscle, every injury is a Google away. It's a Google search away, right? And so it's not, you're not gonna be successful in this business because you have some sort of secret. The most successful people in this business are gonna be the people that can communicate what is already known. And that means that like the margin for excellence is inside of your execution as a coach, not inside of the, the information that you cram into your head, like surely achieve more mastery, but just maybe the best way to say this is, there are people that know much less than you that are more effective than you because of what I just said.
0: On that, are you alluding to the performance aspect of the coaching role, the or the hosting of this experience that you can that you can put on for somebody?
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I don't want to like do a cop-out answer, but it's like everything is everything. Uh, I, I use this example all the time, you know, the art of coaching or let's say like the craft of gym ownership or, or coaching fitness, whatever we want to call it is much more like hosting a dinner party than it is cooking food. Okay because a lot of us wanna be chefs and cook fancy ass meals or whatever. But if you invite people over to eat your food and no one wants to come, because you're a dick or whatever the thing is, then this is an unsuccessful dinner party. If people come, but the people sitting at the table uh, behave in an odd way, or they're not the right people, or the music's off, or the food comes out, uh, cold or the tone is not right. It's a, it's a failure of a dinner party, right? But you could have French culinary expertise, but we've all been to dinner parties that are great and average and poor and everywhere in between. And so when you sort of talk about for us like a definition of leadership, of, you know, to be in leadership is to be responsible for the results. Right? Meaning like you can't hide behind your cream brulee and say like, that's an award-winning cream brulee. But it's like, I don't want to fucking be here. Or this isn't fun. Or I'm not having a good time. I can't wait to leave. This is uncomfortable, whatever the case may be. It's being responsible for everything about that, you know? And so that's, you know, it sounds obvious when I say that, but this is that idea of transcending and including. Like what I'm not saying is that techniques are not important and you got to be an emotionally intelligent genius and you know whether you can clean a jerk doesn't matter that's not what i'm saying i'm saying it's both right and i'm saying that our human tendency is to lean on what i would say is the easier of the two which is yeah you can recite uh supple leopard like cool story does anybody want to train with you and if the answer is no, then it's not effective.
0: You know, that, um, I love that example of the dinner party. And I remember you put that on an Instagram post some years ago yeah. and it it's in for any, you know, people listening, follow Logan. He's obviously a thoughtful guy. His Instagram is full of fascinating thoughts around this realm, uh, at functional coach, right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Get on it. Um, so that post you made about the, the dinner party and how being a good coach is, is kind of very similar to, to hosting a good dinner party, um, that really resonated with me years ago. And I've actually, mm-hmm. I want to tell you this, it's fascinating, you mentioned it today. I print, I print that out and when we run our coaches development courses, it's, 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 a, it's a, either a 12-week experience or a two-day thing but just usually after a lunch break or whatever, I'll go, I'll pass it around, and go guys, just have a look at this, have a read of this. It's so good, man. And people, everyone reads it. Everyone gets like a little smirk and they're like, that's awesome. You know, it's so good.
1: Yeah. Oh dude. Thanks for, yeah. Thanks for saying that. that that's cool. I, I think it's an important thing to say because, uh, probably the smirk that goes on their face is because they, they realize how true it is. Right. We're well, deep down, we know that that's true. It's just harder to say that you're going to be responsible for the totality of this thing. It's actually easier. I mean, we, we present it cause it looks hard, but it's, it's actually pretty easy to just be a movement expert who's unapproachable and can't connect with people and won't actually build a real business. You know, the real challenge is, yeah, like be obsessed, you know, like be the master of the craft and then just have enough humility to realize that that isn't that.
0: Have you had any experience with Edo Portal?
1: Not personally, but yes. I mean, like tangentially, I know who he is and I uh, worked with coaches and athletes that have studied under him. So I'm just generally aware That's the way I would answer that.
0: Yeah. Okay. No, it, it makes me think of his, his style of coaching. I did a lot of work with him sort of more so in the past and you know, he's, he is like a, a master of this movement piece. And, you know, he is, he, well, he was one of the best practitioners and all of that. And when you go to one of his events, it it is this experience, yeah, similar to doing the, the summit with you. It's, it's a really, it's a transformative experience because the way that the information is presented, the charisma, the insights, the energy that's coming from the person at the front is impactful. And what I often observe is that people will go to his events coaches will go to his events and then they will take the information and then they will go and start you know teaching that information to other people and they become so attached to the information that they think that that's everything and it's all about the method and you get these movement coaches now and i've known many of them over the years (laughs) who are fucking boring you know you train with them and it's like it's like you're in church and it's just this And you're like, fuck, someone's just telling, you know, whereas what they've missed is that it's the entire performance of, of what Edo does that is transformative. And it's, and, and to, for you to be able to try and replicate that, which I would argue when people are inspired by an event or something like that, the summit, the movement workshop, they're like, I want to put on an inspiring event like that. I want to have that impact, but they're neglecting to see that that impact comes from so much more than just the methodology yeah do you know this uh
1: this is kind of like semantics of language but um it's what's coming to mind when you say that uh, they, they say i'll give you a couple examples like happiness uh, even though this is like a cliche is one of them um laughter like humor is is one of them and and these are things that ensue meaning like they they are a result of something right you can't pursue them they ensue right and so similarly i think sometimes we put the cart before the horse right you go watch some sme you know guru guy like do his or her thing and you want to like jump to the end Like, I want to feel what that feels like and have people rally around the fire and like think my thing is amazing. But like that is a result that you'd have to go through a series of actions that would make you embody that thing to come out on the other end and have people be inspired, right? Like to be inspired, like to have a goal. Ah, My goal is to be inspirational. Is like, it's like saying like, uh, you know, I'm going to, you know, it's like it's like forcing laughter. It's like you need to tell a joke and then the laughter comes after. You need to to experience something that would have you experience experience joy on the back end, you know. And I think sometimes we sort of get caught up in that that thing, you know, in, in America there's all these um, culture is a big you know, buzzword in, in business, right? Cause you know, these startups, right? These tech companies and and culture is like a, I don't know, it's a, it's a thing now to like market and advertise. and But they do it backwards, right? So, hey, we're a tech company and you know what we wanna do? We wanna have great culture. So this place is gonna be fucking crazy. We're gonna put ping pong tables in the <laughs> office and you can drink beer and because culture, right? It's like, no, culture ensues from doing the thing a certain type of way. And then because you're doing that thing, it would make sense that somebody puts a ping pong table in the back. But when you buy the ping pong table and then you say, we've got culture, it's in reverse. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. And the the fitness world is because of how we share information now, it's so we get uh, a lot of that part before the horse information, uh, visually from social media, and Instagram and whatever, uh, That this is what I mean by like this broken model. It's like if every coach starting on day zero of their coaching journey, perceived that coaching was waking up early until forever, being tired and exhausted forever, having, three layers of clothes in the backseat of your car because you haven't gone home to change clothes, eating meals, standing out of like a Tupperware thing forever. Dealing with people's problems forever that like, I think we would approach the job differently rather than like try to avoid that at every turn. It's like, yeah, part of the job that you want is means that you actually, you know where the vacuum is and you use it twice a day. That's not not your job, right? And so I think that if we, if we had a better view as to what it is we're trying to mimic, you know, was then like everyone who wants to be Ido Portal would know what it's like to be Ido Portal 15 years prior to you meeting him. You know
0: that's a great transition into the culture piece. And I wanted to yeah. ask you. We get asked, asked this about Jungle Brothers and it's something that we ponder a lot and I wanted to get your take on it, which is how do you foster a unique culture in, in your gym space? And, and, and when I, I guess what I'm getting at is what are the specific actions maybe that, that you've taken over the years that have been kind of integral to fostering that culture? Yeah. Buying the it's ping just pong ping table. pong tables. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> You're already on it. Yeah.
1: Just, just order a couple of ping pong tables. Um, I'm, I'm glad you asked that because I think culture is one of these things that we all want, as we should. Um, if you take a look at uh, the best expressions of culture in small groups and teams uh, and, and communities, what I'd like to say is that High performance culture is actually the highest expression and most sustainable expression of leadership, because you know anyone who's been on a, a team or a group like this knows what I mean. Which is, uh, poor culture is in part one of these situations where leadership is only top down, meaning like. Hey team, gather around. Everybody's in trouble because this month was down financially and you forgot to take out the trash and da, 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 Here's the punishment. and Here's what happens when you do that. Here's, I'm just ripping the team now, right? That takes calories and effort and it's not perfect because the, the message sometimes is not heard or whatever the case may be. It's always coming from one person. It diffuses responsibility. It does lots of things. But in teams with great culture, we know that sort of issues or challenges, which is where leadership is most valuable around issues and challenges, uh, culture sort of does the job of leadership for the group, meaning it's sort of like shared leadership and it's interchangeable. It's kind of like, you know, having a rookie on a team, say like a football team, uh, holding an, an an older teammate accountable for a behavior that the culture justifies as ineffective behavior. It's more of a sustainable exchange of the type of feedback and, and patchwork that is required of dealing with challenges. Right. And, you know, anyone who's experienced this can start to believe that culture is magic. It's like, dang, that was a special group. That was a great season holy shit, how do we do that again, right? And I don't want to perpetuate and validate this worldview that having great culture is like this magical experience where maybe lightning will strike your organization. Uh, I think it really pays to understand the aspects of high-performance culture and replicate it and do it on purpose. And so we have a very specific model for this Um, It's sort of our view that the best teams in the world uh, have either an explicit or an implicit rite of passage, meaning the people who want to be a part of the team or a part of the community or the organization go through this rite of passage that either develops and or filters for two specific qualities, and those qualities are trust and willingness. Uh, the most elite military teams, the highest performing championship you know, rugby teams in the world share a certain level of trust and willingness in their locker rooms that is above the norm. And the reason why these two qualities are so critical is because those are the two qualities needed to uh, do the type of work that is highest performing. So what does that look like? imagine that you and I have incredible levels of trust and willingness between the two of us. That probably means that I am literally by definition more willing to step out to my edge. And I actually am uh, trusting this dynamic enough to give a best effort and potentially fail because we can do that together. But if I don't feel that that's safe, then I'll do what most low performance individuals do, which is I'll hedge and I'll make excuses and I will defer responsibility just to make sure I don't get into trouble, right? And so we're sort of building a a system that will by its own design perform lower because there's less uh, ability to go to that performative edge. It also allows us to exchange the best information available for development, which is specifically negative feedback. Okay, so you remember this from the summit. If I could somehow, you know, if Elon Musk had some sort of technology that he could download everything inside your head that you believe to be true, and I could print it out and read it back to you, at the end of this long-ass reading, you would be specifically the exact person that you are right now. Okay. But you, like everyone who's probably listening to this, everyone I've ever asked this question to have a desire to be different, more capable, further along, more involved, more evolve, etc. And to become different and to expand and to grow your perspective, we need disconfirming information to challenge your view, to basically give you information outside of your view to for the opportunity for change. And knowing humans, it's just way easier to give uh, positive feedback than it is negative feedback. And so you can create this dynamic where not only is negative feedback exchanged freely in ways that serve the individuals and the team, uh, it actually creates the environment that we see in most high performing teams, where the people that are in those organizations are actually obsessed and extremely curious about how they can be better. Right. So even before you can tell me how I need to improve how I show up around here, I'm actually sitting you down to see what you got. Hey, Joe, you just saw me coach, man. What do you got for me? anything back there? What What can I see? How can I be better? Right. And that's a whole different conversation. So long story short, yeah, we have a whole model. It's like, we made it into like a little cartoon that shows the process um, for creating this culture and, and um, it's extremely powerful. Um, and I, I know uh, this is kind of like a long little spiel, but uh, I'll tell a quick story and then, and then I'll, I'll show up about this, but uh, I observed a often repeated experiment when I was in college in the leadership school that has stayed with me to this day. And it's called um, the Tavistock experiment. And it came over from, I think Oxford to Harvard, and then we replicated it at USD. And it's it's something that is repeated over and over and over again. I mean, I'm sure this weekend, there'll be groups all around the world doing this in some way, shape or form. What's crazy about what I'm about to tell you is, even the people who are doing the exercise are often PhDs who have done the exercise before, and they know what's going to happen, and it still happens. Okay, so here's the exercise. I'm in college, in the leadership school, uh, on a Tuesday, the professor says, Okay, uh, that's time. Uh, we'll see you Thursday, FYI. Thursday will not be the regular class. Uh, we'll meet here at the same time, but I won't be here. You're gonna have a proctor and you guys are gonna do an activity. Cool, cool, we all go off. Thursday comes around, show up to class, totally forgetting what the professor said last time. Uh, I noticed something's up when all the chairs are formed in a circle. They're not in the normal arrangement. Oh yeah, that's right, we have the exercise. Okay, we all sit down. Some guy comes in who's not our teacher. Hi, I'm your proctor. Today we're going to do an exercise. The exercise um, is very simple. Here's your task. Your task is to observe the behavior in the room. This is a leadership school. That's all you have to do. Observe the behavior in the room. And uh, I'll be the timekeeper. This exercise is gonna start now. And like, I just tried to be quiet for, I think that was probably seven seconds and I just didn't want you to feel uncomfortable or your listeners to feel uncomfortable, but that continued for 55 minutes, okay? I would challenge anybody to be in a group of five people and just say what I just said and just let it be quiet for three minutes and see what happens. And what happens is some version of the same thing, which is, the room without any structure or leadership or norms begins to go through this painful process of making sense of what's happening okay so then you see the nervous laughter somebody's sort of testing the boundaries five minutes in i'm just gonna do homework right sort of like a room talking out loud thing that's sort of like a question okay and then everybody makes a judgment, like, who's this motherfucker? Is he going to do his homework? If he's going to do his homework, I'm going to do my homework. We should play a game. I, all but someone goes up to the whiteboard, they start, hangman happens, right? And then this whole thing devolves into such a cringeworthy, uncomfortable environment. People leave. When someone leaves, everybody makes an internal judgment. Is that okay? Or what, how do I feel about that? Am I jealous? Am I mad? Is that legal? Should I leave? And over and over and over again, the sort of same dynamics show up. For example, someone elects themselves the leader. People feel relief. Then they realize, who the fuck made you the leader? And they assassinate that person. They strip them down, tear them down. And the whole takeaway from this thing, sorry for the long story, and I think it'll be impactful though, is that humans want to be led so bad. So bad. And in groups, it creates this complexity that really ails us, right? When we have low levels of leadership, we aren't our best, we perform really poorly, we act weird, we diffuse blame, et cetera. And so when you create a group of people, this phenomenon can show up where everyone at the the table, so to speak. Everybody in the organization can have the same goals and desires. They could all want the same exact outcome if you ask them individually. But then when you get them into a group, unless the structure is there for them to execute that goal, people based on assumptions and worry and wonder and and a lack of leadership will sort of devolve into a puddle on the ground, you know. And so you can view that as bad news, like humans, man, we're like just destined to fail in groups. Or you can look at it as good news. That's what I took away from it, which was we all want to be led so bad that if you tell people how it's gonna be, not only will they thank you for it, they'll live and embody that thing. And every single person that walks into Deuce Gym at some point in the intro process, like all the, the prospective students, We sit them down for an intro process i've done hundreds of these at some point nearly everyone divulges that they detest gyms they're like i just hate i just can't gyms and just okay when you tell these people that this is not a place where people put their headphones in and have weird energy towards each other and side eye and are judging people across the room. This is a people, this is a place where people walk through that gate and they they feel like a student. They feel safe here. It's a community here. Here's how we behave. Here's how it goes. Not only are they relieved, they behave the way I just told them to behave. Because that's what we all want. Even the gyms they're shitty where people are shitty to each other. Most people don't want that. They just don't they're afraid that they're going to be the only one right and it perpetuates a toxic culture right and so when you give people the road they'll drive right down the middle of the road in a lot of ways
0: i absolutely agree i suppose my next question is how do you decide how do you decide what your method or what your way of communicating that to somebody is? Cause I, as an example for a, for an, a coach or a, or a young sort of a gym owner that's early on in the timeline, they hear what you just said and they're like, "Absolutely, fucking man, I totally agree with that. Yeah, maybe we should do an intro thing. Uh, how do I want people to act? How does someone start to put the parameters in place to guide those that they're leading?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that, and not to, right after I say, that's a great question, not to dismiss you or be derogatory. I think that oftentimes we get inappropriately hung up on the details, okay? The details matter much less than deciding what it is okay and what I mean by that is deciding how it's going to be definitively is much more important than making the perfect choice it's so impactful to say hey here's how it is Uh, I expect this this and this if those three things that you chose or two or three things that you chose um, for you know to communicate that really matter uh, are clear that's much more effective than being unclear or wishy-washy about the perfect parameter, so to speak. And, and I can't overemphasize that enough. Um, Deciding the way things are going to be is, is so critical. And I think a lot of times we sort of like delay clarity for this like search of the perfect outcome, you know, I mean, that's how I start the the summit, right? Which is like, there's untold examples of people that use the opposite techniques that are as successful or more successful. And there's untold examples of people that can use the exact techniques that I say that will be half as successful. Right. And so it's, it's all about execution over like those details, in my opinion.
0: On the on the piece of someone's journey coming into the gym, slightly different track to where we just were. What do you think? What did you, what's a gym? What's a gym like yours actually good at? You mentioned the the training. You know, the fitness is free, but it's it's the coaching piece. Um, talk to me more about that. Yeah, I mean, where my mind goes immediately without getting.
1: Too much into specifically just what quality coaching is i'll try to answer the question talking about like the the biggest bang for your your buck because i think i'm not the only person talking about quality coaching we're all talking about that one of the things that i think is um a point of differentiation especially with the general population is there are massive entrenched stereotypes with our, um, industry. Okay. And almost all of them are bad, by the way. Right. It's the reason why all these people completely unsolicited tell me how much they hate gym. Like, congratulate, like the fitness industry. Like we got to own that. Like, congrats. We've completely blown it. To where all people, 90% of people hate the place that we decide is our source of income. Okay, that's the stereotype. That's the bed that we've made, and we have to sleep in that bed. Okay. So I think it doesn't help any of us really, especially in the fitness industry, to, like I said before, succumb to your stereotype. Right. So if you're going to open a gym, you got like a little powerlifting vibe going on, uh, you got some some barbells out, you're teaching people, you know, quote unquote, functional fitness or whatever. That environment doesn't need you to turn up the Metallica louder. You see what I'm saying? Like they already expect that. They already expect it's going to be hard. They're like, I'm going to puke. These people are going to be intense. The person that's, you know, my coach is going to have face tattoos and tell me to go fuck myself. And like, it's just like, that's the the over exaggerated stereotype. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people who get into the industry, they're like, well, if that's what doing a good job is. Like, here's my face tattoo and here's my Metallica. And like, they become the thing that is like the worry of the people coming into the gym. And so I look for ways to to challenge the stereotype, to break the frame of the consumer, right? Because by the time they come there, they're taking a big leap. But in the back of their mind, there's like a little voice being like, These people are going to be intense. They're going to be mean. Everybody's going to be a fitness obsessed psychopath. Music's going to be so loud. I'm going to puke in the corner or whatever. And I sit them down and I go, listen, uh, there's a lot of wild ass gyms out there. This isn't one of them. Okay. This is not, this is the anti boot camp. I'm interested in being your coach for the next 20 years. So I'm actually going to, I'm not going to let you sign up for uh, a membership of X number of days a week, right? Because I'd rather you be at home wishing you were here, then you not be here. And you internally motherfucking yourself because you're not coming in enough, right? I'd rather you be at home twice and only come here twice a week, begging for next week to come around. than for you to be throttled in a puddle of your own sweat here with someone yelling at you that you're not fit yet, right? Like it's a whole shift of what this is. And, and so what, let's keep going down the road of those stereotypes. You know, like I have some probably above average strength numbers or fitness qualities or whatever. That's the last thing that I wanna throw into someone's face, right? I want them to respect what I know and what I can do, but I want them to be incredibly surprised at how much uh, this isn't this obsession fitspo, thing where I'm so unrelatable to them. It's like, I'm bringing this back down to earth. This is not a big deal. Actually, For all of our students, it's not that big of a deal. Their whole life, this is just a small part of a bigger life. They come in here a couple of days a week. It's not a big deal. That's not what they expected. They expected me to, to make the mistake that most coaches make, which is that most coaches are going around saying, if I do a great job, then my students will go home and YouTube the wild ass shit that I watch on YouTube. they will read all the books that I read and they're going to be obsessed with all the same weightlifters that I'm obsessed with. No, that's not the goal. They're paying you. So they don't have to do any of that. The goal is they get to do their life better and fitness doesn't become the most important thing in their life. Right. And, And if you have enough empathy and humility to realize that, then how you present all of this conversation isn't succumbing to your stereotype of being like elbowing the new student, being like, can't wait to deadlift 500. Am I right? It's like, no, they're actually terrified of that <laughs> idea. You know, if we, we need to change their mind about why this has been so hard so far, you know, and, and this idea of, of challenging our own stereotype is probably the lowest hanging fruit in the
0: makes me think about something that happens when you touched on it earlier when uh, you were talking about different uh, like sort of the different archetypes that would come into your gym and and oftentimes when I think about most of the people that come into our gym they don't actually know what they want you ask them hey what do you want and they kind of give you some sort of answer which is you know along the lines of what everyone else says but you know that it's not really what they want because they've not they probably haven't thought about it that much but one of the interesting things that happens i find in that exchange is actually sort of touches on the the feedback piece as well where we where we we're much better at telling people what we think they want to hear so you ask them what they want and they will often tell you they will often kind of already know what you're doing or what you're into and then they'll use that as a model to oh i want that like oh yeah the handstands yeah i want to do the handstands or yeah i want the muscle up on the rings And you're thinking, you know, and if you, if, well, if you're not really thinking about it, you're like, all right, great. Let's get you in the handstand program. Let's get you on rings one hundred one, Like, let's get started, you know, but I find as a coach, you need to peel back or just as a person, you need to peel back what they're, what they're processing at that moment and try and get down to what it is that they really want. And often what they're saying they really want is like, I want to be more in touch with my body or I want to feel strong and confident i want to you know which are the things that they're seeing within those exercises um totally. so i find that it's a it's a real if you're not on the ball as the person who's sitting down with you know maybe it's the the 30th person you've met that month and you're like fuck i'm having so many of these conversations and you're tired you've been coaching all day and all, and if you're not on point with that conversation you will just misinterpret what that person throws at you.
1: Yeah, I think yes. And I, I often relinquish the need to know on day zero, what their goals are. I mean, we have a conversation with them to try to extract exactly what you're, you're getting at. Um, the way I like to ask the question before I get to my next point is, um, let's say it's two years from now, you know, spring 2024, and you're looking back on this meeting with, you know, the weird guy with the long hair at the gym, uh, you know, how would you know, what would signal to you about your life that this was a great idea coming to this gym? And like, almost never does fitness things show up. You know, they're like, oh, if I had like three or four friends from here, that'd be sweet. And I just like felt strong in my body. And, you know, like those are the things that that come up, you know, but and we write them down and it's important and it's a really important part of our process. And as I'm doing that, I know what you know, which is that they can't even possibly know what they're going to want because they don't know what they don't know. You know, like, I don't care what brings them in. It could be just like, I want to see my abs, you know, and it is really, for a lot of people, part of what gets them in the door, but like, I'm not going to sit there and tell them like, you know, you're gonna, you know, you're gonna change your whole life here and you're gonna, yeah. we'll get to that. You know, it's like, this is a, a progression of introducing them to it, but like creating the environment that would give them the chance to to meet those ends is I think the art of the thing. You know and, and as long as you're like open to realizing that this is more than you know the x's and o's of, of fitness then you have a chance to deliver on all that you know
0: mate i think a, a big thing i want to uh, sort of i'm trying to figure out how to articulate this but you you speak in a way that is not common to a gym owner you speak in a way that is not common to anyone, I'd say. You know, you have a very uh, remarkable way of communicating your thoughts and um, anyone that's listened to this point would agree. Could you tell me what, what it is that's brought you to to this place where you sort of see things in this wide-ranging view? I guess kind of maybe similar to my question about how things evolved. Did you always have this approach to looking at your business or looking at human development, or was it something that you've fostered, you know, due to influences and mentors and whatnot along your journey?
1: Well, uh, well, I appreciate you saying that, uh, first of all, and I think that I have some view as to technically how I got to viewing things the way I view them and that follows actually teach it in the summit right which is that our mind our our consciousness our our perspective like who we are between the ears is hopefully potentially an ever-evolving sort of person and I'm, i'm i'm obsessed with that that action and so that road and i'm using a classic framework that isn't mine but that road is is a common one we reach these certain milestones of awareness moving through adulthood and most people don't make it past this sort of like socialized mind which is the limit of your perspective is a institutional socialized one for example um to use a movement example It would be the people who leave the Ido Portal seminar and cannot see that there are edges and boundaries to that methodology. It is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, okay? Um, Any input into the system about or regarding movement will be filtered through that perspective as if that perspective is the truth. It's very dogmatic. And it comes from outside of yourself. Crossfitters do this thing, powerlifters do this thing, strongmen do this, etc. Political affiliations do this. There's there's geographical perspectives, there's gender specific perspectives, etc. Now, fewer people include those perspectives, meaning they're, uh, you know, if you're in the US, they're uh, a Republican Crossfitter uh, who has a, you know, economic stance that looks like X and a, you know, music taste that looks like Y and it, whatever the case may be, religious affiliation that looks like they're Catholic, etc. And they transcend that, meaning that their truth and how they see the world includes some of those things, but isn't limited by those things. Being like, you know, uh, I'm a Catholic, but I do drugs or, You know, I'm a CrossFitter, but I also do uh, upper body accessory work, right? It's like, I can see that there's a method here. And also I can see beyond the boundaries of this method. And and it creates this sort of self-authoring, meaning like I'm holding the pen and it's like a custom worldview. It's like the Logan worldview, right? A lot of leaders have this. These perspectives to the extreme turn into the gurus, right? Because Ido Pertal is is inspired by lots of socialized things, fighting, acrobatics, right? He's not without those, he's including those, but transcending them. You see where I'm going with this? Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, Greg Glassman, founder of CrossFit, self-authoring mind for sure, right? Ah, oh, gymnastics, i can bring this in. My dad was a mathematician about uh, the scientific method, I'll bring that in, etc. cetera. Um, his own dogma emerges right and a lot of powerful leaders reach this stage however if that becomes the limit of your perspective that you're subject to this reality that of course my invention crossfit is the way anything beyond that i can't even see anything beyond that this is the best thing ever right um you can you can get yourself into trouble, which is all the information that is received or sent by individuals in this sort of self-authoring mindset is filtered to make your dogma true, right? So you don't read the articles that disagree with your perspective. You definitely don't retweet the people that are that are in disagreement with your political stance or whatever the case may be. And so the next stage, which is extremely rare, and I hope to to you know, to answer your question, be a person that operates in this next stage, which is the self-transforming mind, which is less interested in being right or having a sort of method and more of this balcony view, looking down on all of the methods at play and seeing that we are living in a sort of world of systems. And it's from there that you have maybe a little bit more perspective to see your own bullshit right like as much as i can come on to your show and be like you know we have coaches prep we develop you know coaches and it's like the best way we know how etc i can also tell you i know a million holes in that thing i know where it falls short 500 ways and i'm interested in the 500 i can't see right uh, I, I can see the limits of our training our GPP training at the gym is great. And it's actually extremely flawed based on how we sell our memberships. It is imperfect for reasons I could spend two hours explaining to you. But it's a curiosity about how things work rather than what the thing is that's working. You know, and and because I know that, I can't unknow them, right? I can't unsee my own perspective. And it, it's starting to sound woo woo, I'm, I'm sure. But most of us are spending our whole lives looking out of our own eyes. And we can't see that we have a, a very specific view. Right. And so I'm hoping that I can have enough distance to, to, to see that now. Uh, and sorry, for again, longest answers ever, please um, go on my whole life was the socialized version of me was everything was in service of baseball what it took to be a major league player how do you do it what's it look like whoever that is that's who i am when that exploded and sort of went away you sort of wonder ah okay uh what is my own path right like who am i then you start to find what you believe in and if you're courageous enough, you can believe strongly in things and also be curious about how you might be wrong about that. And then that puts you on a path where uh, you you kind of start to play a different game, right? You're, you're, you're always questioning and trying to break your own perspective. And I think if you do that, it's impossible to be a dogmatic psycho guru guy, you know, because you, you are interested in breaking the system to find out what's true sort of beyond it you know and so long story short that's how i got there like i my dogma was baseball and then i started trying to aggregate these methods that i agreed with so it was like my own custom view of the world and then you realize that like oh this is all just a made-up game in some a million made-up games and and, and that perspective is sort of free
0: what was the you mentioned with that the baseball thing exploded for you or, you know, or, or came to an end, what, yeah, yeah. what, what happened there?
1: I just, I had a really poor 2009 season. I think I, you know, um, long story short, like, I think I got, my results got worse as I went, you know, in high school, I think I was a, could have been a great player, sort of a prospect in a lot of ways. I got better through college, but like my senior year was just a, a much worse year than my junior year got drafted really late and then inside of my organization I was sort of just a backup type guy and then just didn't perform well and and that was it you know I, I definitely deserved to get released you know it wasn't like a dramatic injury or something cool like that it was just, that was just the end of the, of the road you know um but you can't really accomplish that sort of half stepping, you know. So you you go through the end of that road pretty maxed out in terms of your focus, uh, and then it's when you're trying to move laterally that your sort of awareness opens up, you know. So you know, and you and you can see everything that I just described in a lot of different microcosms. You know, it's like the athlete who becomes the coach. Well, when you become a coach, you're you're still an athlete. You still have a body, right? So you're a coach who's also an athlete. And then when you coach other coaches, it's like you're a coach who coaches other coaches who is a coach and also is an athlete. And then when you become a gym owner, you're a gym owner who's a coach who coaches other coaches and is a coach and is an athlete, right? And it goes on and on and on and on. And that was like part of the process with the summit. You know, you described it as a thing for gym owners, and that was true. Uh but now it's not, you know, half of the people that show up are from some other industry. And that, that is that trend, send and include thing where I was curious as to, could I communicate this effectively enough to reach a non-fitness audience, All right? So on and so forth. Uh, I'm gonna start this creative agency uh, because now I can, in- inject this type of work into non-fitness businesses from a consultancy standpoint, right? So on and so forth.
0: Can you tell me about the book?
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, it's a book called Going Right, which is a, it's a philosophy book It's about decision making. The short story is, um, when I got done playing baseball, I became I didn't have the details, but I knew there was a knowing I knew that I was very fit to have success outside of baseball, which doesn't really make sense. Unless you go through the process that I went through, which is that uh, the books called going right. So I sort of articulate that going right is a is a choice to journey towards your peak expression. Uh, versus the opposite, which is sort of seeking perceived safety and hedging against, you know, failure and things like this. Um, And what I realized was that there's a series of uh, undeniable characteristics that are developed when people are in pursuit of their peak expression that you can't earn any other way. So for example, if we use the baseball example, uh the foundation of that pursuit is built on a understanding of commitment that you can't learn any other way so i could not pretend to commit to something else in the way that i embodied commitment towards that pursuit and that's an extremely valuable skill for a lot of reasons i mean commitment has a positive connotation has value Um, but it's with that level of commitment that you can develop what we know to be universally true for all masters of their craft which is that you have uh, enough commitment to then build a large body of deep work which is a specific thing it's not just a large body of work because a lot of people just get older and accumulate work like you can be 60 years old and have worked 40 years but like if it's not deep work then it's just work right and so Uh, folks who are masters of their craft generally practice and quote unquote work differently than other people. And that looks like following the principles of deliberate practice, which I taught you in the the summit. Um, It's a work of a deeper, more utilitarian uh, intensity, meaning in deliberate practice, we can get better faster than people doing just regular work. Uh, when you build a large body of deep work, that takes you to the next attribute, which is this uh, unique resilience to adversity. So adversity strikes us all, but my argument is that you are more fit to weather the storm of adversity when engaged in an activity that you're deeply committed to and that you have this large body of deep work behind you. You're less likely to quit, you're more uh, resilient to those... Uh, external negative forces. Uh, the next thing is built on the previous two, which is uh, the peak human experience of flow. Uh, and this is a state that is, um, becomes present and is most ripe at the intersection of the two things that I just explained. Uh, peak preparation, so the more prepared you are, uh, the more fit you are for greater challenges, And the other variable is a stretch challenge. So the reason why Michael Jordan uh, winning game five of the finals with the flu is this expression of flow is because Michael Jordan at the time was the greatest basketball player in the league in the most tense environment possible, the NBA finals. But he'd already done that, right? He's done that. Four other times at that point, the reason why he dips into a new state of flow is because it's not just Michael Jordan, will you win the NBA finals again? It's, will you do it while you're on IVs at halftime with the flu? new challenge, right? Now, um, if we're too advanced for the challenge at hand, it's, it's boring, right? Like if Michael Jordan plays against a five-year-old, it's just, it doesn't even garner his attention. It's too easy. Um, If I try to play in the NBA finals, it's too stressful because I suck, right? And so the pursuit of these two edges is where the most remarkable altered states and sense of fulfillment comes from, which is flow. And the last element uh, that these pursuits yield is that all of the traits that I just described are highly transferable. Meaning that if you can do them in one realm, they transfer well to other realms. Meaning, you can devote your whole life to the pursuit of this goal in baseball and fail 20 years later and be really set up to have success in other places. It's not a, it's not a wasted 20 years, is, is the idea, which is most people's greatest fear in doing what they really dream of doing, which is a fear of failure, a fear of it not working out, et cetera, et cetera. And so, what I'm saying is not only are you at a utilitarian advantage for pursuing these things, it doesn't even matter if you accomplish it at the end of the day. Having pursued it is the sort of tangible takeaway.
0: So, where can people get their hands on going right?
1: Yeah, going right. It's uh, it's on like all the online book things, Amazon. Uh, there's also an audio book if you're into that kind of thing. Um,
0: yeah, mate. Could you tell folks where they can connect with more of the stuff you're doing? We've got the book, um, maybe the gyms, whatever whatever projects are front of mind for you at the moment. Where can people get a hold of it?
1: Yeah. Um, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at functionalcoach. The gym website is deucegym.com, um, B-E-U-C-E-G-Y-M.com. Uh, if you just throw like a forward slash university on there, that's where you can find all the online courses. There's a, a business course called Business Prep 101 that can help anybody in entrepreneurship. There's a coaches development course, some free ebooks. Um, and I teach the summit next month in Barcelona. If anybody wants to hop on an airplane, special guest Carl Pally's coming out. Um, should cool. be a good time. And, uh, yeah, the nonprofit you can find it online as well. DeuceCommunity.org, and um, we're empowering folks who are system, substance, and/or housing impacted. So we have folks that we've hired at the gym who are currently incarcerated. They they had they're able to come with an ankle monitor or formerly incarcerated and changing changing their lives. It's really it's really rad. So if you want to get involved with that, you can check that out as well
0: that sounds awesome that initiative at the gym was that a hard thing to put together to to get incarcerated folks to come and be part of it uh it wasn't
1: that part wasn't hard i think the hard part is more the logistics of getting nonprofit status and all the legal stuff but um one of our staff coaches rock star campbell lillard has lived experience and so we started the nonprofit together he found the gym right after he got out and went through our coaches development program and, and moved out from Texas to be a part. Um, and he's now on staff. And so through him, we've built out this, this nonprofit. I think that, um, we're a bit of like the anti-charity, you know, it's like, if you're highly motivated and you want to put out, Uh, the sky's the limit you know we're not here like handing out free t-shirts and free workouts it's like if you want to be an owner of your life and 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 do something remarkable I don't you know we don't care where you come from you know so it's been really incredible to see uh, these individuals um, thoroughly blown away on a daily basis by their all of their abilities some of the most incredibly smart gifted powerful go-getters possible that just so happen to have part of their history includes you know incarceration
0: my last question for you is are you still training jujitsu and if so how's it going
1: i knew we were going to get to it yes i i did take a i took a a long break over covid no uh, you're really on purpose i just had to get back to the work kind of over time, so to speak, but I am back on the mats. I rolled yesterday. I roll tomorrow. Um, little by little, you know,
0: man, that's awesome. Do you find, um, do you find that the jujitsu and, you know, it, it has its own special impact on the body, call it positive <laughs> or negative, maybe a bit of both. Yeah. Uh, but do you find that that affects your other training at all? Like from a mobility perspective or anything like that? Yeah, I mean, I feel
1: it's a two-way street. I feel that I show up there and they all give me a hard time because I'm like the gym guy and there's like a certain cachet that comes with that. I think that people generally don't prefer to to roll with me for some of those physical reasons. Uh, you know, like that's the tongue-in-cheek thing. I feel very set up for success with a GPP background, um, as in you're the big, strong guy. That's the story around the thing. Yeah. Um, but, um, yeah, moving differently in different planes and, and, you know, it, it's an incredible physical effort. That's for sure. And there's a conditioning that is probably irreplicable, you know, <laughs> that, uh, I'm definitely benefiting from, um, yeah, it's been nothing but positive.
0: Matt, that's good to hear. I'm glad you're doing it. Um, it's, it's one of those forms of training that I, I do believe is, it's not always the easy one to pursue when you have other commitments with your training. And I know you like, you know, the strongman stuff, the barbell work. Um, so I'm sure some of the, the gymnastic stuff too. So yeah, kudos to you for keeping that up. Yeah. I, Thanks uh, man.
1: It, little, just a little bit here and there, you know, small doses.
0: Yeah, I think that's probably an intelligent approach for most folks. Mm-hmm. Um, mate, I, I really appreciate your time today. I I knew I would in I was excited to come to this conversation with you. Uh I, you know, I got more than I had sort of expected I would. I think that I really enjoy your unique perspective on things. And I hope that for people listening, it can broaden their horizons about how maybe they can see what it is that they're doing and whether that's in in fitness or something else, or it's in leadership or, you know, I hope they can take something away from that. Um, I'm going to get my hands on your book probably should have read it before the chat, but how about this? I'll read it before we have our next chat. Um, yeah, man, I would love to connect in person again. I hope that you can come back to Australia and who knows, maybe one day I will come to Cali and ask you for that job at Deuce and you'll yeah. knock me back and then the journey will begin. <laughs> that's
1: right you're always welcome you always have a home in venice and i definitely want to come visit uh i've always really connected with you well and and it's been a fun conversation man i really appreciate it
0: all right my man thank you so much for making the time um thank you and i'll see you the next time
1: that's right all right thanks brother
0: cheers logan yep thanks for listening guys i hope you got a lot out of that episode please go and check logan's work out The links are all there. Twitter and Instagram at functionalcoach, deucegym.com or deucecommunity.com. Yeah, thanks for listening. If you enjoyed the episode, do us a favor, share it with a friend, pass it on to someone who would also get something from it. Helps to spread the message, helps to support the show. Uh, We really appreciate it. We will see you next week. Thank you.